Hello, I'm David Hughes, and this is Rogue Commentary, a new podcast featuring audio commentaries for cult and classic movies by the filmmakers and other interesting people. On this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Emma Forrest, whom I first encountered through her incredible memoir, Your Voice in My Head, and then wrote and directed the brilliant and sadly underseen film, Untogether, starring Jemima Kirk, her sister Lola, Jamie Dornan, and Emma's ex-husband, Ben Mendelsohn. I'm so grateful to Emma for overcoming her technophobia to record this insanely good commentary for Untogether, which I urge you to track down any way you can. And if you haven't seen it, obviously watch it before you listen with the commentary queued up. As always, you can listen like this as a podcast, or pause it and queue it up to the film, remembering to start and stop when Emma tells you to. Ready to play? Three, two, one, play. Hi, this is Emma Forrest uh, doing rogue commentary for you on my film Untogether, which I wrote and directed um, in 2017, um, starring Jamie Dornan, Jemima Kirk, Lola Kirk, Ben Mendelsohn, Billy Crystal, Alice Eve, and I'm going to start at the start. Uh, so here we go. Go, enjoy. The song you hear uh, is as so much of this um, to do with being a super low budget movie. Um, so we had to give Jamie a list of songs that were in public domain that we wouldn't have to pay for the rights to that uh, would uh, successfully stop him from, yeah. Uh, and he chose Danny Boy because it made him think of his dad. Um, I think I had originally, in the first draft of the script, written in uh, Castle on a Cloud from Les Miserables. Uh, yeah. Jemima's wearing this beautiful lingerie, uh, most of which was a loner from Dieter Von Tees, our brilliant costume designer, uh, Cameron Lennox, had an in there. So not a loner, because I'm not going to say it was reworn, although underwear worn by Jemima Kirk and then given back to Dieter Von Tees to rewear is um, certainly something worth purchasing um but yeah this is jamie smoking a cigarette when he doesn't really smoke jemima longing for a cigarette when she does really smoke um jemima's pale pink hair was in my head because i'd thought so much about los angeles sunrises and sunsets and um this girl who is so closed down i knew feeling her most at ease um set against land landscape nature that's why she's in los angeles to feel small in the world um Jamie was so happy to have his beard. Okay, this is a coyote 
Uh, the only piece of CGI in this tiny, talky, independent film is uh, CGIing off the coyotes lead. I used to take bus rides all through LA before Uber was invented. Um, I never got my driver's license and I saw such a different side to LA by being on buses, by being on foot, because it's not a walking city. And when you walk a walking city, you get uh, a different angle that I felt was cinematic and that I hadn't seen um, in any depiction of Los Angeles. Sophie Cora, the editor, um, actually came and I can't remember why she came and lived in my basement while we shot this, but it was great. Um, she had just learned how to drive. That part wasn't great. We were living in Silver Lake and the edit suite was in Santa Monica. And that's basically as long a drive as you can do in L.A. every day there and back with a girl who's just got her driver's license. Um, and I think both of us were pretty scared. So we'd go into the edit suite kind of shaky every day from the freeways, which maybe um, contributes to the lead character's vulnerability. I'm going to go with that. Jemima is on the bus, uh, having walked off with the shirt of the man, Jamie, that she just had her one night stand with. Uh, and that was a memory I had as a younger and more I was going to say younger, more carefree person, but I was probably less carefree, taking that sort of prize from a man's bedroom. There is my ex-husband's beautiful bottom. Um, we made this film after um, being married for a few years. Oh, this is important. He's wearing a Kylie T-shirt that Kylie is such a badass that she actually helped me make it. Um, Kylie is one of Ben's oldest friends from when they were kids. Um, and again, super low budget film, really hard to get copyright. You pay for, you know, not just songwrite, but t-shirt appearance use. So I was able to write to Kylie and say, have you got a picture I can use without paying <laughs> for it? And she sent me over that and we got it made. Um, and that's Ben's shout out to one of his oldest friends. And I also thought him wearing it while he gets uh, the blowjob off Lola would be um, a sweet uh, uh, eye wink at dear Kylie, who we both love so much um, and who is such a good sport. The treehouse. Yeah. When I lived in Laurel Canyon, I used to pass a treehouse every day and I would fantasize about living in a treehouse and um, how that would solve all my pro <laughs> all of my problems. Um, and uh, here's Lola in her first scene with Jemima. Lola and Jemima are sisters. Um, so, you know, I've mentioned this, but the Fleetwood Mac uh, backstory on the making of Untogether is that Ben and I obviously had a difficult relationship because we had agreed to separate after the movie was finished and Jemima and Lola have a really complicated relationship that they to some extent I think hoped they might ease by making this film together um I gave the script to Jemima first I'm just pausing while they're um Ben and Jemima are in the car um I'm going to pause there Jemima 
I was the first one, first of the sisters I gave the script to. I had met her and really hit it off with her when Ben played her dad in an episode of Girls. Ben and I had just got married. Um, I was out there while he was shooting. I remember we had gotten married like a few days earlier. So we went out to New York. I'm pretty sure I got pregnant on that shoot. Um, and Jemima and I got really close. She was very pregnant when they were shooting Girls. She and I stayed in touch. I gave her the script about two sisters with a fractious relationship. And she said, can I show this to my sister? I would love to do it. And I said, of course. And now we're in the car with Ben and Jemima. Um, oh, okay, another t-shirt story. Ben is wearing a t-shirt that says D-A-A-S. That's the Doug Anthony All-Stars who are an Australian anarchic satirical punk band who I was super into when I was about 12, 13 um, and probably the reason I ended up marrying a swearing Australian <laughs> frightening anarchist um, and you know there are secret notes all over this film because Ben's Ben had been making movies since he was I think 14 or 15 and he said to me you have to make this um, telling yourself that you may never get a chance to make a film ever again so fight for every single thing you want and put everything you want in it and so that is my small shout out to one of my first crushes the Doug Anthony All-Stars. Ben also has very beautiful hands which you can see in the scene he has beautiful hands a beautiful neck a beautiful bum and I kind of um in the spirit of having an amicable upcoming divorce, wanted to really highlight those things that I found so beautiful when I first fell in love with him. Um, I'm gonna pause and just talk for a second about Jemima's face. I felt like your um, ability as a writer director to have a really complicated female lead is eased when it's a face that you just want to follow anywhere and I think that Jemima has one of those faces um that it's like a scent you would just follow from room to room um I think she's in a category not just of beauty but of gifts um with Rachel Weiss, who uh I also think has that kind of has that kind of face that you'll just you'll you'll go with it doesn't matter where she's traveling you want to be with that beautiful beautiful um profound face okay this is the first scene i shot with alice eve who had stepped in at the absolute last minute when something had gone um awry with another actor and alice saved our ass I think she stepped in like 24 hours before was just so gung-ho and generous um, and uh, she and I talked a lot about Camilla Long who's a columnist for the Sunday Times um, who we were both massive fans of her writing and her look Alice's look here is based on Camilla's um, headline shot in the Sunday Times and it kind of helped in this fractious dynamic between Jamie and his editor that Jamie um, 
is really disturbed by Camilla Long. And I think it was kind of brilliant that um, they were at odds on that, just going in. So even the look of, of Alice being based on Camilla kind of threw him. This is in a restaurant called The Black Cat that God, I hope, is still there because I know that Silver Lake, like everywhere, is falling apart and places are... I'm going to Google that after this. Is The Black Cat still, still in operation? Jamie's just... like Jamie, <laughs> Jamie is such a mensch. Um... There are so few A-list male stars that you can send a script to and they know that they're not the lead. Like he knew that Jemima was the one in almost every frame and he just wanted to be part of a really strong ensemble and do good work. Um, and, you know, all low budget movies. This is, I think this was a 21 day shoot and we lost a day. I'm going to pause it right at Billy because um, that is Billy Crystal under that towel. Um, yeah, just like those are those are difficult, anxious shoots. And the second Jamie Dornan showed up, he just made everyone feel more at ease and happier. Um, he's just such a fantastic... I just can't say enough great things about him. And um, my producer, Scott Lestati, and I watched his first day. We're like, this... <laughs> Like, he's so good looking, he's such a good actor, and everybody on the set loves him. Like, this guy can have anything. I've seen that once um, when Ben was shooting Mississippi Grind with Ryan Reynolds, and it was the same thing. It was like an A-list star showed up knowing he wasn't the star of the movie, that he was in an ensemble and just wanted to do really good work, and was you know beloved by the crew and did a beautiful job and you know that's the golden ticket okay I'm gonna let's reveal about Billy and then I'll pause this okay this day was one of that the best and the worst days um it was one of the worst days because we had a spa booked to use for the scene since it's meant to be a spa and something kind of unheard of happened which is we had arranged it and had the permit and we showed up and I can't remember if it's they'd changed their mind they'd pulled it something had gone wrong we showed up to shoot and it had been taken away and Billy Crystal was there ready to shoot and we just had to scramble I think that's a rented hotel room that the brilliant um set designer um tried to make look I successfully made look like a spa room and Billy was just so kind to me because um yeah it was just that was horrible it's my first movie um huge iconic actor like Billy Crystal is there while we scramble and make him wait to fill in this collapse of our uh, set. Um, and he and I, while they tried to fix it all, went to a room and just worked on um, his pages together. And that was incredible. Um, I, I knew that he had upcoming scenes in the synagogue 
and I knew that he wanted to work a little on the actual sermon. And yeah, that day was so terrible. But on the other hand, I got to sit and write and work and hone with Billy Crystal. And I did pinch myself and he was just so lovely and saw the blood drain from my face when (laughs) we found out we'd lost um we'd lost our spar and he just gave me a huge hug he's beautiful all right pressing play lola and her sister jemima um i think they fulfill very different roles for me in the work they did in this film and as friends. And I think I do the same for them. I have very separate friendships with each of them. Um, And I feel um, bad that I didn't know. I don't think I really knew how hard a lot of this was for Lola, the work between her and her sister and um, how rather than sort of smoothing things between them, it was... um, it was a really difficult time for their relationship. Um, I know she loved her scenes with Billy, because as I say, Billy was just very dear. Um, and those were, those were happy uh, scenes for her in comparison to the really dark and difficult work she did with her sister. Um, I'm going to pause it. Uh, yeah, do you know what? If I was going to summarise for an outsider the differences between Jemima and Lola, I'd say you make a Rocky Horror Show remake, um, you would cast Jemima as Magenta and Lola as Columbia. And the interesting thing about that is that um, Lola, you know, Jemima is just like such a fox and a vamp and has that look that kind of says, I will have the roots of your soul. And Lola, by contrast, seems like, you know, a pretty girl next door, all American. Um, But she has, the second you spend a few minutes with her, Lola has, like, she's really sensual and there's almost um, kind of a wantonness about her right beneath the surface that was really useful here. Pressing play on Billy and his improv joke that I believe made the trailer. When I was trying to talk Billy into taking this role, I told him, and it's the truth, that when I was a kid, I had a picture of him on my bedroom, my teenage bedroom wall that, you know, my thing before rock stars was comedians. And I actually don't know if telling him that is part of why he took it or one of the reasons he hesitated about taking the role. But once he was in, um, he was just one of my favorite people. Treehouse, still my dream treehouse. I think that treehouse is in Las Feliz. Ah, um, I love this shot. That's Autumn Doral, our incredible cinematographer, um, who's married to another great cinematographer, Adam Arkapoor. Um, who weirdly circuitously shot Animal Kingdom, um, starring my ex-husband, Ben. Um, And a wonderful thing about working with Autumn, um, beyond the fact that she's brilliant and made my 
you know, what million, $1.5 million movie look way more expensive is we um, had our kids on set because I think her and her husband take turns shooting movies. Anyway, her kid was around a lot. My kid was there all the time. Jemima's kids were there. Um, and sorry, I've paused with Jamie um, outside his hospital. Uh, yeah, just so if, you, if you didn't notice from the credits, all of my department heads were female. And what was really satisfying about that is I didn't realise I'd done that until after we were well into the shoot and someone pointed out I had. I just had hired everyone um, that I connected with and who I felt knew how to tease out what was in my brain, pressing play. Ah, I knew I wanted the, the pink lingerie drying in the canyon sun next to her hair. Yeah, I just like the idea of her sort of bleeding into her desires and um, her needs bleeding into even the things that she wears. That was all set up by um, Chili Nathan, the set. I remember there was a day, look at her beautiful bed sheets, when Chili right when I was about to shoot and like we had, it was so low budget that we could maybe do three takes, sometimes five if I was really lucky. Um, and I remember Chili saying, just wait, I just want to pull up her bed sheet. I just want to pull it up. And I was like, well, no, I just want to shoot it. And she was like, no, but, but that throw is so her, so Andrea. And just to realize how everyone was invested. I'm just pausing um, with the arrival of Scott Kahn because I want to talk about Scott. Uh, how, how invested she was in my character was like very, very moving to me. Um, okay, so we're about to play uh, Scott Kahn's one scene. He did that as a favor to me when uh, I was living in a guest house in Laurel Canyon. When I first moved there, I had a landlord who sold the place and the new and the buyer was Scott Kahn and I was like shit how do I get to stay in my beautiful guest house and you know he wanted it empty but I think I should write about this I think on that first day that he came to see the house god and I was like I think 30 30 yeah about 30 and and I flirted with him and and he it told me later, he was like, yeah, you know, he has a lot of guy friends now coming around and he has parties in the house and that it probably a benefit to have an attractive young English woman living in the guest house sort of being the first thing you see as you walk up the stairs. And then I was kind of his nightmare, like I was such a pain in the ass. I remember going through a heartbreak, a bad heartbreak where Scott would hear me weeping at night in the guest house and he would come down and talk to me and... Um, this is actually in my memoir, Your Voice in My Head. I love Scott Kahn so much because I never see this guy. And yet when I do, which is literally every couple of years, he says something that makes me feel, he just says the right thing. And I remember him hearing me sobbing and weeping and him coming to talk to me in the guest house. Um, and 
and I was like, I just, I want to be dead. It was such a bad heartbreak. And he just looked at me, you know, when everyone um, cossets you because they care about you and they indulge your weeping and your sobbing. And he just looked at me and said, you feel this way a year from now, I'll help you buy the gun, but you're not going to feel this way. And it really cut through and kind of turned me around. And he was right. Um, He's a great actor. He's a wonderful human. I love him dearly. I was so happy he came and did this scene. And the funny thing is, he told me he was intimidated after he did the scene with Jemima. He's like, she's so good. You know, I felt intimidating working with like a proper English RSC actress. He thought she was like Royal Shakespeare Company when Jemima is, uh, you know, completely untrained and just acting on complete instinct. Um, let's watch Let's watch this scene and then I'll tell you how Scott and I got to it. So, oh God, he cracks me up. One of the things that's great about working with people you know really well is that shorthand when you're directing and I knew Scott so well that I was able to say okay next take can you give me an Elliot Gould take and he knew exactly what I meant and he did it and he killed it and the scene I love this scene so much I think there was more there definitely was more that got lost in the edit, not because of the performance, which was brilliant. Scotty. Uh, There's that face. There's that beautiful Jemima face. This, oh, this newsstand here, we're with Ben and Lola, is the scene of, in real life, Ben and my first fight. Right, I think we weren't even together properly yet. And we had a fight where I said... I don't, I don't want you to drive me home. I can't, I can't be in a car with you. Let me out here at this bus stop, which is at a newsstand on the corner, if you're this big of an untogether fan of Laurel Canyon and Ventura Boulevard's brilliant newsstand. Now when I watch all of these, I just get scared everything's gone. Um, but uh, yeah, scene of our first, of our first fight. I really liked this girl. She was great. And I gave her a close-up, even though she was a day player, because I really liked her and I wanted to use her more. I'm going to have to look up her name again. Oh, right. So now Lola has on Ben's Doug Anthony All-Stars T-shirt, because, you know, that's a real sign of a cosy couple is swapping clothes. I think I still have some of Ben's t-shirts and he still wears some of mine and you kind of even forget whose was whose in the first place. <laughs> that antic, all that handshaking from Ben and the and the sort of toddler-ishness, that is one half of Ben that's very, very present when you're... Um, anyone who's intimate with Ben knows that sign, that side of him... Um, he can be super cranky 
and he can just be antic and um, excitable. And uh, yeah, I, I think of that as his Iggy Pop side. That's just, you know, I want to be your dog. And I hadn't seen him do that on screen before, so I wanted it. Billy. Okay, so now we're in the sit. Oh, Jen. There's Lindsay Rains, my, who I became very close with on this set. Um, who is a really, really good actress and a really good human. Um, and again, someone I wanted, I had shot more of, and it just, in the edit, you try to be ruthless about what moves the narrative along and you end up losing things that you love. That also happened with Jennifer Grey, um, who, like Jamie, is someone who, may, every day Jen Grey was on set was a, a happy day. Um, and you find as a director, I don't know if this is a first time director thing, but someone's good and they make your life more pleasant on set, you will find as much as you can for them to do. You want that around. Um, that band is called Distant Cousins. Um, Tiffany Anders, our music supervisor, found them for us. They were great. Tiffany's great. I'm just going to pause here. Um, Tiffany Anders, fantastic uh, music supervisor on this movie. And I didn't click until after I'd hired her. Um, that her mom is Alison Anders, who is a real touchstone for me in terms of even not just wanting to direct a film, but f feeling like maybe I could. And that... Um, uh, Alison has made a bunch of fantastic films and a lot of really good television, but a touchstone for me at a really important um, teenage uh, moment is her film Gas Food Lodging, which is about a fractious relationship between two sisters, so it was very much a touchstone for Untogether. And um, I, love, I love the kismet. I love that um, her daughter ended up playing such a big role on this movie. Got those lovely blue grey Lola Kirk eyes. That's what you want. That's what I want. I in my leading actresses, I just I want to dream into their face. I want to be given permission by that face to just lean in and dream in. I've hung out with them both so much since this movie, Jemima and Lola, always separately, almost all, always separately. Jennifer Grey, what a goddess. Um, Jen is, when you talk to Jen, she is one of the sexiest humans you will ever talk to. Like she is magnetic um, and curious and clever. And uh, just an absolute favorite person. She had read my memoir, which I had, I did not 
No, she signed on because she'd read my memoir. She said she didn't care what the role was. Oh, she had a big, beautiful crying scene that she killed and we had to cut it because of the narrative. There's the Doug Anthony All-Stars t-shirt again. We're in this house in Mount Washington. So Mount Washington was meant to double for Laurel Canyon because Laurel Canyon is such a pain in the ass to shooting because there's just like one way in and one way out. Um, that's why it's such a fire hazard. But we really fell in love with Mount Washington and so it stopped being a double. We just now assume that's where they live. This was a beautiful house that Ben wanted to buy. Um, yeah, I mean, if ben, <laughs> ben wants something, it doesn't matter if it's like in a museum gift shop um, behind glass uh, and he wants it, he'll ask how much, how much? So I remember him standing in this house going, how much? More Dita Von T's lingerie. I think we had Jamie for a week and um, I mean that's all he was available for I think he was there near the start and we shot him out as fast as we could um, and look Jamie's the reason we got financed um, we'd been trying the girls had been really loyal to me while I tried for at least a year to get the financing and I had been loyal to them because they were the right ones for the movie. There were people who would finance it with one of the five actresses that you see in every single film, um, but I didn't want them. I wanted, you know, and that's like, if you ever see a small independent film and wonder like why that huge star is, <laughs> is in, uh, you know, a role that, I don't know, I just, I want, I, as a viewer, I want to see different faces. Um, I love some of the work Jennifer Lawrence, a lot of the work that Jennifer Lawrence has done, but I don't want to see her in everything. And as Ben always said, he said, you don't want to be a botherer as an actor. You don't want to be that person when the trailer starts in, in the cinema, everyone goes, oh, them again. And I, it's hard to finance with anyone, but the five actresses in that age range and I admire them all and I did not want them for this film. Um, now here's Lola and Ben at the school. And I will say it's, what was the name of that school? I know that it looked like an awesome school and if I'd stayed in LA, I probably would have enrolled my kid there. That's worth saying. I think I knew that I was going to leave LA and move back to London after 20 years away. And I kind of wanted to make this Valentine before I felt I could go. Because um, I, I really love Los Angeles. So obviously, you know, the location scout did a great job finding a house that would um, uh, let you understand how shut down and glassed in Jamie's character is um, perfect for the movie. Wow, I would not want to live in that house. Uh, 
Okay, walk. Now this is weird. So walk and talk in the synagogue, West Wing walk and talk. Um, and what was really strange was that we were scrambling to find a synagogue that would let us shoot there. And it, I think it was the high holy days. And so nobody was responding. And um, they found this synagogue and they, they sent me the photos. The, the location scout sent me the photos to approve. And I was like, yeah, that'll work. And I approved it and then showed up and realized it was my own synagogue um, that I used to go to um, at a period when I was slightly more religious. And I don't know how I hadn't seen from the pictures that it was my synagogue. And even stranger, the rabbi, the head rabbi, either had approved it or had not been informed. So he didn't realize that it was me. So I show up and I think we were both a bit startled to see each other. Um, yeah, he I, he just, he had signed off without realizing, and I signed off without realizing. And it was sort of, um, it freaked me out because the rabbi is the moral compass. And I was already nervous because I was making my first film in a really um, short space of time at a low budget. And I sort of felt like seeing my rabbi was like God looking down on me, judging me. We just walk and talk happened because we didn't have time to do a set up. I, I mean, I'm sure if you keep doing this podcast with indie directors, so it's like... <laughs> 75% of creative choices are to fix or solve a problem um, budget-related. Oh, Billy's wearing this jacket because I think that the day I met him to try and persuade him to do the movie, he was wearing it and I complimented him and he remembered he wore his lovely jacket. We wrote, I, wrote, I wrote this backstory for him um, how he had come to be, I'm just going to pause it then, how to, how he, this character had come to be a rabbi. I was thinking about Bernie Sanders and, you know, those famous pictures of Bernie Sanders at um, civil rights marches as a young man, um, the rare people who stay true to their ideals. Um, here's Ben in a expression I certainly recognise from being married to him of isolation and despair. Yeah, this, this is really what it's like to have a bad day with, with Ben. Um, and this was a really bad day with Ben. He's brilliant in the scene, but I remember, again, first movie stuff. Um, we were gonna go into overtime. They said, you're gonna go into overtime. He wanted another take. And I got told we were going to go into overtime and I made the rookie mistake of not understanding what that meant financially. I thought overtime meant we were, you know, I was going to cost the film like 50 grand. Um, and so I said no. And Ben was furious, furious because he didn't think he, that they nailed it. And he didn't talk to me for actually for a couple of days. 
And finally, I checked what it would have cost me to go into overtime. It would have cost me like $800. And would you pay $800 not to have a massive fight with Ben Mendelsohn? Fuck, yes. He should have had his, his take. Ugh, that girl, that face. I know I keep saying that, which is not to undermine how good she is, but um, that is a that is a rare face. Okay, this is a fuck up. This um, the light, the lighting. The lighting isn't where we want it to be. In this, it's too dark, and there's nothing we could do because we ran out of time and money. Um, and it happens. And um. It is what it is. <laughs> so while I'm admiring the aesthetic loveliness of my of my at of my actors, something I really love um, about Ben in human form and on screen is that combination he has of boyish freckles and um, wrinkles around his eyes. I think is very, very beautiful. Look, there it is. <laughs> Jemima has all those piercings up her ears and all this beautiful jewelry and her personal style are meshed so well with the vision I had for her character, Andrea. But there's shots where I'm like, oh, look at Jemima's neck, look at her mouth, and look at her three different gems in her ears that she just happened to be wearing. And the placement of the hoop by the sapphire. I've always, Ben says this about me, I've always been um, profoundly moved by female beauty. I'm heterosexual, um, and yet so much of my motivation in my life, in my work, um, and what moves me as a viewer is female beauty. I remember, speaking of female beauty, I remember in a really shit moment in my life going to see Quantum of Solace, the James Bond movie. That is not an especially great James Bond movie, but the Bond girl was Olga Kurilenko, and she was so beautiful that I saw it twice because it made me feel better to look at her face. Lola's character doesn't, pretty much doesn't ever wear a bra. She's very 70s inspired um, and Jemima's character always wears this incredibly structured sort of bullet shaped 50s lingerie. God, Billy, my, that is the thing that really, that was my big failure on this film is that if I had lit this properly, um, and that's on me, uh, what Billy does in the scene is so, so lovely. I, you know, he would have gotten the, the, the appropriate um, acclaim that he deserved for his dramatic work in this. And sorry, I've paused it. Um, I got the part of um, being with Ben for so many years was 
having a network of really incredible directors who I was able to ask to watch the film. Um, and I remember that both, while I was editing, um, that both Andrew Dominic uh, and Derek C. in France were both so taken with Billy Crystal's dramatic work in this movie. I love that shot. Oh, look at that sky. Prakash, who's talking right now, is in this party scene, is, was one of the investors in the movie. Um, that's one of my favorite um, dresses that Cameron found for Jemima. Look at that. Where is that dress? I want that dress. Cameron did um, pass on to me some things that she ended up not using in the movie. I have a, a favorite nighty that was meant to be Andrea's nighty that Cammy gave me. been great again and just been um, gung-ho. This was a day that I was so, so, so happy to have Ben there. I'm just going to pause this. Um, I had a really difficult, my producer Scott Lestati, I had a really, really difficult time with a couple of the other producers and we had chosen this and because I wanted to shoot this outside um, one of the producers came out and said that the noise was going to cost too much the exterior noise was going to cost too much money in post um, and that we needed to shoot it inside and I asserted myself as best I could and then Ben uh, leapt in and I won that battle and it was important to me that this is shot outside with those, with the lights of the city behind them. Um, I want LA always to be present in this film and looking down on them and we would have lost that if this conversation were indoors. Thank you, Ben, for uh, being intimidating. <laughs> So funny and so silly, and he got to do that here. <laughs> Jemima and Ben work really, really well together, um, partly because Ben doesn't uh, have massive respect for the talents of all that many actors you know he has his chosen few um, he thinks Jemima is a killer actress and he thought that from the moment he worked with her on girls and you get I think you can feel the respect he has for her and we certainly sort of expanded and tweaked 
I expanded and tweaked their a lot of their scenes together, um, just playing on how um, much chemistry there was between them and how much he enjoyed doing the work with her on a shoot that he didn't really want to be at. You know, we were getting divorced, but um, he liked doing the work with Jemima. Oh, okay. So this scene um, where Alice, Eve's character, um, has that kind of mildly <laughs> passive-aggressive anti-Semitic diss of, I know you must hear this all the time, you look like Amy Winehouse. That I asked her to say, and she felt so bad about saying it because it was so horrible. But um, I was really angry and upset because Ben was about to go off and do his role in the King... No, what's it called? Darkest Hour. Not the King's Speech, the other one. Darkest Hour, where, um, you know, playing the King, the English King with the starter. And he had, uh, while we were shooting this, been doing voice lessons and recording people and accent training. And he was racing off to record some English people talking... Um, after this, and I was like, well, just, why can't you just listen to me? And he said, because you sound too Jewish. And he, I'm sure he's right, but he was also um, resentful about being on set. So I wrote that um, uh, Amy Winehouse dig into this scene. I love shapes. I love the shape. I love the neckline on Alice Eve's dress here. I love the stripes on Jemima's dress and where they fall on her shoulders. Oh, that shot of Jemima on the bus, so beautiful. I have a pathological thing about noses. I love noses with a bump, elegant noses with a bump in them. If I could list my favourite bony noses with a bump, it's like Silvana Mangano, Anuke May, Jemima Kirk. <laughs> that is a very specific turn on, very boutique turn on. I always knew that I wanted an image of a girl giving herself, self, an author self mutilating with a book. Horrible paper cuts. Look at her face. Ah. And kind of the amazing thing about Jemima is you'd be in a room with her and you'd look at her face and she'd just look like, you know, a normal, pretty girl. And often she looked really tired. And then you'd look on the monitor and she just looked so extraordinary. Um, and I remembered... I believe it was Greta Garbo who said of Marilyn Monroe that what she had was so delicate that it needed the screen to pick it up and blow it up. And that, you know, 
Marilyn wouldn't have had the same effect as a stage actress. I don't know. I don't think Jemima's ever done stage, I wonder. But yeah, there's definitely something about being in a room with Jemima. Seeing her face on the screen, my God. Okay, we're in the REM. Bam, REM scene. Um, okay, there's a long list of menches who contributed to this film. Somehow, our music supervisor, Tiffany Anders, got Michael Stipe to agree to license this song for such a small amount that because of what's called a favoured nations deal, we then were, you know, we were able to save so much money on music because nobody could charge more than REM. We were like, you know, Michael Stipe gave it to us for this little. Um, thank you, Michael Stipe. Apparently he just liked the script and liked the actors. He said yes. Jamie's reaction shots, we shot separately and when he's reacting he looks so astonished because Jemima had come in and flashed him naked to get that reaction from him and he was really shocked this is just the shittest part of making a film is shots of texts just absurd and Jamie made me laugh because I remember he told me that on the fall which had changed his life over many years on his very last day the very last thing he had to shoot after this epic emotional life-changing journey was a shot of him like <laughs> pulling a piece of toast from a toaster and then that was it but yeah those are those are honestly as a director just like that tries your patience shots of, of toast Toasters, texts, contact lists. Get really wary and, and doubt myself a bit about any scenes or sequences when, even in scripts that haven't been made yet, when people drink, because I don't drink, I've never been a drinker, ever. Like, I've had some drinks in my life, but it's just not... I literally can count how many drinks I've had in my life. So... I even sort of doubt the, the veracity of the colour of the fake liquid in the glass. Jemima's sad smile. In that in that moment, um, yeah, I remember showing an early cut of this to Natalie Portman. She, like the whole movie should just be Jemima's sad smile, defensive. That's what it was. Jemima's defensive smile. It's so good. Okay, this is one of my favorite scenes with Lola dancing in the synagogue. I told you that there's a, this part of Lola that's just so wanton. Here it is. I'm sure all of these extras are lovely people, but when you look back, God, low-budget filmmaking, couple of shots, when I mean, you look back and I just look at every extra and you can't work with each of them and, uh, you know, finesse 
their performance and I know that the audience probably looks past it but each and every extra I end up you know you see the film so many times in the edit suite every extra um, I wish I could have worked with individually God, every single item of clothing that Cammy found Jemima is something I really wish I had inherited from the shoot. And you'll see, as I mentioned, there's a lot of um, her bleeding into her clothes. We often have the peach and the pinks in her hair, in her blouses, in her dresses, in her socks, and in the sky. To give you this podcast, I'm watching the movie <clears throat> with the sound off. Um, but the funny thing is, ever since I met him, Ben said the way to judge an actor's um, ability is to watch them with the sound off and see if you still believe them. This is for real a very delicious falafel place in Atwater Village. Um, that we used to frequent and I hope is still standing. So much checking to do when I finish this. This is just ridiculous, Ben. This is a real part of him, just like, you know, the Labrador puppy. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever in my life made me laugh as hard as Ben, where it hurts your body. We used to watch this in the edit suite over and over. Ben talking about his admiration for menstruation, for menstruating women and how um, impressive they are. Really so delighted and been so uncomfortable. Oh, I remember when we were setting this up. Okay, when we were setting this up, that was a continuation of a day Ben wasn't speaking to me. I'm just going to pause this. Um, the hangover from the day I thought that I couldn't afford to let him have another take um, and I was just trying so hard to get him to crack a smile and I asked the synagogue band these lovely guys um, to play Land Down Under when he walked in into the synagogue on their um, on their klezmer klezmer style Land down under. I thought it sounded brilliant. He didn't smile. Okay, pressing play. Ben was amazed that we got Billy Crystal for this. Like that's, as I say, he doesn't get impressed. Like that's a movie star. That's a proper movie star. 
that's an that's an icon and I was nervous about my days with Billy and I think Ben was nervous for and with me about my days with Billy because Billy meant a lot to him A lot of Lola's, a lot of Jemima stuff came from Dita Montes. A lot of Lola's came from um, a wonderful New Zealand designer called Karen Walker. I think we were narratively, we had talked about losing the scene in the edit and it just looked so beautiful. We used a small amount of it as we could because we couldn't bear to lose it completely. Um, That fucking cat. God bless that cat, but I never want to... I'm such a cat person, I'm going to try really hard never to write a cat in again because it's... It's just stressful. This, again, is a lovely real bookshop in Atwater Village. Jemima's hair just lasted because all that colour in it was really fucking up and fucking her hair up and by the end her hair was so damaged it barely held like I think we just got to the last day and still were able to get her hair to hold the colour Ben looked great in this film I love um everything that Cammy put him in and I again like not only is this a love letter to LA because I knew I was leaving I I wanted to do this for Ben before we broke up was just make him look fucking great on film because you've seen him so many times you know look sleazy and scary and um I just wanted him to look absolutely beautiful as sort of a parting shot look at Jemima's hand so the other thing that just held together Jemima has really um really bad eczema on her hands that flares up when she's uh, super exhausted which we all were <laughs> and especially by the end it was just sort of like that what I would just look and there was chunks coming off her hand extremely interested in real estate it's my favorite way to procrastinate if I'm having a bad writing day and I do kind of think Ben was right we should have bought that house uh, there's a lot of placeholders you have in the soundtrack when you're making it and this the placeholder was trouble by Cat Stevens and I had thought about Cat Stevens a lot when I was writing this script because of the way, um, the ease with which he fell through all these portals from the world of music and addiction into religion, that was very, very present in my mind when I was writing this character and how 
if you are um, gifted in the area of creativity, it makes sense to me that you would also be gifted in the area of um, spiritual belief. Stevens was just on Desert Island Discs and it was brilliant if you're looking for another podcast after this one. I've seen death's disguise hanging on me hanging on me Howl and Ward is such a crazy film for Paramount to have made. It's such a like absolutely narratively wonky tiny independent movie it's crazy as an indie filmmaker to think that like a major studio financed and released that film that's another um had an impact on me like gas food lodging it had an impact on me at a certain age of thinking the mood can often carry you where the narrative um, where you might expect the narrative to, it can just be the feeling sometimes. I hated shooting the sex scenes. I hated, I always called cut too soon because I was just just dying I could barely look it was weird because I had no I never had a problem writing them at all and Jamie's so used to that because he had done the Fifty Shades movies that it's just like doing the grocery shopping for him he wasn't he was just totally fine and oh god it was I found it unbearable I'd obviously, obviously seen all of the um, wardrobe for Jemima and I, one of the things I was excited about is like waiting for the day that she'd get to wear this bustier. Oh. You know how um, Jacob Dylan looks like the most refined um, and beautiful version of his father, Bob? And I kind of, like, a lot of people had very generously said that Jemima looks like me, but I know I'm a realist and I can see she looks like the most beautiful me I could ever fantasise. And I think that's partly why I'm so invested in her loveliness, as she's very much me gone right. I remember finding a sweater like this when I was about 15 and going, oh, I think I have a, a, my own style. <laughs> we had to, 
<laughs> we were sent. They didn't. The, the animals didn't audition, but you know, I was sent pictures of all of the animals that would be in this vet to approve. Um, and it was like Mr. Meat is hired. And that was a day of levity, you know, at a stressful time uh, to approve the the headshots of the animals that would appear in this sequence. My cat did have an emergency sex change when I was living in Laurel Canyon. That is autobiographical. What's really weird is before my cat had an emergency sex change, I had a friend who was friends with Paul McKenna, the hypnotist. And my cat was really, really sick and sort of screaming with pain. And before they did this surgery where they, you know, removed my cat's broken penis, Paul McKenna tried to hypnotize the cat. I tried to hypnotize my cat into being cured and um, yeah, it didn't work. And this scene is why, apart from being, you know, very kind, I assume this is seen as the reason Alice signed on because, you know, it's fun to be the one who takes him down. Um, when I wrote Jamie's character, I'd been thinking about um, the guy who wrote A Million Little Pieces, which was later revealed to be fraudulent, a memoir that was later revealed to be fraudulent. And um, weirdly, they then made a film of the memoir that had been revealed to be fraudulent. But that sort of was playing in the back of my mind when I wrote this character, was maintaining um, what it does to you to maintain that lie until you believe the lie yourself how do you interact with people when you're carrying that that's jamie's character he read um i had him read so you've been publicly shamed by john ronson before we shot this I would make every film with Jamie if I could. Anytime you need a male lead in that age range, you want Jamie. He just, he works so hard, but with such a lightness of touch. There's a lot of actors who are good actors who you can still feel like they're just waiting for their turn to speak. But um, Jamie's listening. Oh, his wife, Millie, um, she and I had become friends after she had read my memoir. Uh, and yeah, she handed him this script. It had, it had gone through his agents to him, but 
you know, a good wife says, you have been sent this script, make sure you pay attention to it. And she did that. Um, so I'm really grateful to Millie for champion, championing this role for Jamie. Also autobiographical, yes, I used to bathe with my lingerie and it, it never quite clicked for quite a long time that I was bathing in my own dirt. After this film, or maybe right before Lola had made a, a, a film, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it was reviewed in The New Yorker by Anthony Lane and he was complimentary about her performance, but heavily critiqued her hairstyle, which is this hairstyle. And um, she wrote a very eloquent letter of complaint. Oh, this bathtub. Okay, so I've written before about how much I love George Michael and I do remember reading um, about the filming of the Freedom 90 video and how David Fincher had Cindy Crawford in the bathtub sort of elevated by wooden planks so that she was at the perfect angle to frame her loveliness. And yeah, I, uh, that was a reference point when I was pitching this. I think, personally, that pop music videos by great directors are often part of or are the greatest work they've made. Um, I think, if you ask me, that, that the Freedom 90 video and the Express Yourself Madonna video are among my favourite works of David Fincher. So Ben guessing the ages of dogs constantly. I call, I always called him, I still call him friendly, scary helper, scary helper, because he'll um, engage strangers in friendly banter that alarms them. So yes, guessing the age of strangers' dogs is, that is pure Ben. Okay, so then cut to Lola having pissed herself. But can you see, like, this is a low-budget indie thing. We didn't get enough takes. I don't know that you can completely see that she's pissed herself. She's pissed herself out of spite. Can you tell? So Lola and Jemima in a lot of ways are very, very different. Their faces are very different, but they actually have the same physique and posture and kind of shape. Um, those are the, that, that, I think when you look at the strength of their bodies and their, um, the way they stand, you can see that they're sisters. I mean, even their accents are different. <laughs> 
And we worried about that. We stressed about like, do we have to write in a reason that they have different accents? They have different accents because they lived half their life in England and half in America and one got an English and one got an American. And it's, it did come up, it did come up in early screening um, questionnaire responses. And what are you going to do? I said to Autumn, I want one peeker's eye. And she knew exactly what I meant. She got that out of Ben. There's the great long line bra again. I was conscious, I guess I thought so much about wardrobe on this, that you often rewear things with someone you want to get closer to, to remind them of the time when things were great. Jamie is a really um, funny, humble, and in a lot of ways in a very delightful way, kind of like semi-nerdy guy. So these scenes where he's vulnerable and it's not working, like that's way closer to Jamie as a human than Mr. Sex Man, Mr. Sleek Sex Man. Like Jamie is... um, He's really funny. And actually, that's why I wanted him to have ridiculous sex in this the first time we see him. I did try to give them all sort of their star intro. Jamie with the... Wow, I just realised it is all really emasculating of my male leads that Jamie was mocking him with the ridiculous song he's singing the first time you see him having sex. And then Ben's star entrance is a cat is mocking him by licking itself while Ben's getting the blowjob. Um, that, one of the people who actually was my connection, I had written a movie years earlier that ended up not getting made um, that I co-wrote with Mitch Hurwitz who created Arrested Development and he's awesome and we stayed friends and he came in to watch an early cut and that Ben getting a blowjob while a cat stares at him, licking itself, came later in the movie. But Ben said, I mean, but um, Mitch said, give Ben his star entrance. Let the first time you see him, the cat is mocking him. And he was right. In fact, that was like a weird 24 hours um, in the edit suite that also showed me how long I'd been trying to make my first film and how many people I'd worked with who were now rooting for me that I had Derek C. in France in the edit suite with me and Sophie Cora up until about midnight that night giving really interesting thoughtful suggestions and then we woke up and went back in and Mitch Hurwitz came in and he stayed through lunch giving really useful suggestions that obviously you know tonally those guys were coming from different places if you could say I made a movie um, that has uh, some kind of tone between Arrested Development and Blue Valentine maybe you're not that far off
this is my friend Detroit, um, who I, I, okay, another of the films I wrote that didn't get made was a film that Joe Wright was directing. Um, and when I first met him, he was promoting The Soloist and Detroit was in The Soloist. Um, she was homeless and um, in a halfway house and Joe had arranged for the studio to hire um, a lot of the Skid Row um, denizens for the movie and I met Detroit and became really enamoured of her and stayed in touch and put her in this film. And there's Michael Cooper at the back of the room. He was Ben's agent at CAA. Um, he's one of my... I'm just going to pause just to sing the praises of Michael Cooper, um, who I was friends with. And I, when I first got together with Ben, I hooked Ben up with Michael Cooper and Ben signed him. CAA and I love Michael he is um like the most unagenty agent on earth he's just god this word keeps coming up in this really tormented film I keep saying mensch but Coop as he is known is just such a mensch such a delight having him play the drummer in Ben's band was great because I got to be around Coop um but also Coop really helped um with the song that they're about to perform, Coop uh, hooked me up with the other musicians and uh, the rehearsal space and time to run through um, the song that they're about to perform. Otherwise, I think it would have been an absolute shitstorm. We'd looked at another venue that I think would have been cheaper, but the ceiling was so low and I knew that I wanted Ben to jump. Um, it w it, he would have bashed himself. And this is um, a venue I actually used to go see music at. Again, this is the shapes of Jemima, like you know I was saying about her beautiful bony nose and then honestly like I don't know is this male gaze I'm female so this is my female gaze I love the shape of the curve of her spine and her ass and her strong shoulders I love the shapes she makes oh right just to pause yeah Lola did us a favor I think weeks and weeks and weeks later in the edit we realized shit we narratively we need to understand that she's driving towards um she came in and shot that scene of her driving and she had totally different hair so we had to sort of brush it to the side here's Ben performing Now, everyone who's... This was sort of heartbreaking, is that um, people standing around were watching this and said, God, Jemima's so good. She's so good just watching Ben perform. Look at her face. She's just... It's so believable and she's so enraptured. And look at that. And we asked her, like, where did that come from? And this was devastating. She said to me, 
So this is in the middle of the shoot. I just watched how you look at Ben when he's acting and I just copied you. Um, I mean, God, what a thing to do to make this in the middle of this crushing breakup. There was, <laughs> Jennifer Gray, I'm going to pause this. There was a moment when um, we were rushing between setups and I was in a bathroom stall and Jen was in, Jennifer Gray was in a different stall and I was like, shit. And she said, what? I was like, I need, oh, I've got my period. I just got my period. And she's like, get a tampon. I'll get you one. I was like, I, ha I haven't got time. I have to go back. I can't. I'm just going to have to bleed. And she just took me aside. She's like, Emma, you deserve a tampon. And I've always tried to carry that with me. As it doesn't matter how stressful and low budget. You deserve a tampon. That's what female writer directors uh, don't talk about. So Ben's character is someone who had had this moment of pop glory and then come back down to earth. It's so painful that to live that life, you know, to carry that and the grace it takes to then come back to normality and live a domestic life when you know you have this in you. I always think about um, Tom Petty learning to fly. The coming, the coming down is the hardest thing. Coming down is the hardest thing. I'd love to make um, a piece about Tom Petty. So we edited here between what she should be present for and where she really is and what she should be longing for and the perversity that she longs for this, which isn't really perverse because it isn't the elderly rabbi she's longing for so much as to lose herself in something, which is um, the appeal of religion, to be overwhelmed. And that's the connection for me between religion and sex and why I made this sort of sex-heavy uh, movie with this religious undertone is um, just the idea of just being able to lose yourself that's the point of great sex and that's um, the attraction of religion do you remember in the in the opening sequence on the bus we had kiss them for me by Susie and the banshees and Susie denied us the right to use it at first and I was like what and then we found out it's because she thought from the description that it was a faith-based film that it was like one of those freaky you know Christian um evangelical movies <laughs> and then it got explained to her and she gave us the rights and actually that video for Kiss Them For Me by Susie and the Banshees was a very much an influence on Jemima's look um, in that video Susie is uh, dressed as uh, Jane Mansfield and so it's like a very punk uh, super femme punk 50s dream bubble anarchist the scene went a different way than we were expecting I felt it I could feel um, just how incredible their chemistry was and I wanted to exploit that I scrabbled and I rewrote the scene a little bit rejigged it um, 
and he I think originally he was sort of she's the one who kisses him yeah and then I changed it that he gets you know overwhelmed with sort of machismo and aggression and he leaps on her has this animal inside him and you know we change it like right there on the spot and at the end of that day and remember there was a time like Ben didn't really want to talk to me he congratulated me and he said it was the best day he'd had on a set working into a scene and reworking it since he made place beyond the pines with Derek C in France and you know that made me Okay, so there's a line here, and Billy, full credit, Billy came up with it. You're going to make a lot of mistakes in your life. I don't want to be one of them. I love that line. I mean, this was, this, this was weird, I guess, when you, when I look back at it, you know, Ben had played her father, Ben was still my husband, Jemima was my friend, um, it was weird for Jemima, but I, that is, when you become a director, was it didn't feel weird for me on the set, because it was right for the scene, and that's all I thought about. Light, Autumn Duralde, you're so talented. Again, congratulations on your earring choice, Jemima. Lola has very pronounced lower eyelashes that I enjoy. That's rare, if you notice, for people to have sort of double lower eyelashes. Look how horrible it is when you have floor-to-ceiling windows and all the light comes in when you don't want to have the light. That's something I've seen Ben do a lot and I wanted to use. He bangs his chest like a gorilla. In fact, he, I think last Christmas he gave me and his daughter and his other daughter and his other baby mama, um, he gave us all the gorilla to keep, to remind us uh, to use the power of the Ben Gorilla when we, when we need it. It's like a bat signal, I guess. You know, he loves Harry Dean Stanton. He's starting to get Harry Dean Stanton ears. I didn't notice that. 
And then bam, the cat, cat's best scene. Well done, cat. Perfect leaping. And that just alludes to when you want to be touched and you don't want to be touched. And that's cats, isn't it? And then we're going to go right into a dog sequence. This guy was great. But first movie rookie mistakes you go would that guy have that dog or did we just scramble and pick the dog that was available Jamie's dad is a doctor. He's quite a fancy doctor. And um, so Jamie was able to share medical suggestions for those scenes when you're just meant to be doing medical stuff in a hallway. And Jen actually said to me, why don't we just fill space by eating? Just whenever you want to have a transition where you're feeling space, just eat. Great. Yeah, we're idiots for not buying this house, but then we'll be fighting over who who gets it. There was a scene right after this that got cut where Lola screamed at Jemima in character. And she like burst a polyp or something. Oh, Ben's beautiful feet. And she burst a polyp screaming at her sister and we didn't use the scene. Here's Ben's best scene in the movie. Look at that face. Oh my God. You know, me and my editor, Sophie, we would watch this scene when we were working on this. And I would just, I would just sob. It's so sad. And she cried, watching me cry. Just what a great face. Ben always says that it's a really big gift as an actor to have elements of beautiful and ugly to your face, which I get it. I know what he's saying. And he knows he has it and he's right. Yeah, I love this scene. We're going to have, she closes her eyes in the car and we're going to have her dream into the city and have, um, uh, see a, a snatch of the skyline and we didn't need it. There was so much going on in their faces and look at their beautiful hands. Oh. Ben has huge meaty hands and 
uh, I also wanted to highlight those. And just the little things when you love someone that, you know, their beautiful feet, their beautiful neck. And, uh, yeah, I really wanted to give that to him. I really like this scene a lot. Yeah, these are my two favorite Lola scenes, the one where she's dancing in the synagogue and this one. And people really, they, people who like this movie really like this scene. And just, you know, when she comes back in and she eats the cucumber, oh, I was just thinking about, you know, the feeling of just wanting to consume someone. And again, that idea of a holy sacrament, that um, bridge between lust and religion or, or spirituality. And again, just of, just of being overwhelmed and wanting to be overwhelmed so you don't have to feel yourself. It's such an emotional film. Autumn, um, the cinematographer, the first time she watched it, she said it felt like a John Hughes film, like Pretty in Pink or The Breakfast Club, which I really like because I think of those films as very emotional. And I remember when Andrew Dominic watched a really early cut, he said, Look, my films... He, I admired that he was really able to not um, make suggestions that would make it more like an Andrew Dominic film. He said, my films, you know, drift and... and um, meander and dream and this is a pop culture movie and you want to get it as tight as you possibly can and he was right and if I could have I would have got it tighter but you know we had the footage we had because we had the budget we had but if I could redo it yeah it would be shot in a way that there were less pauses in conversations that it was just that it that conversations themselves moved faster Did you, we used a Tom Petty song, Here is a Placeholder. What was it? <gasps> Look at those pyjamas. Where are those pyjamas now? If you notice, um, Jemima's character, Andrea, wears all these fabrics that say, touch me, touch me, touch me, because she hasn't got the courage to actually be touched in her real romantic life so she wears it instead in the hope that someone will shake her and say you do want to be touched otherwise why are you wearing silk and angora all the time if you hadn't noticed I love costume design this is all Cammy got all of this from, from awesome thrift store shopping, which is a great gift of being in Los Angeles. It's just fabulous thrift stores. She spent so little on Jemima's wardrobe and it's so beautiful. 
<laughs> love this scene. Jemima editing the Torah. Also, what a nice headboard. Those are the parts, you know, yeah, pop culture movie. Those are the parts, again, to talk about dreaming into something. Like, I want you to live with the characters and hope for the best for the characters. And I also don't mind if you just want to have that headboard as well. Blonde wood to go with, to go with the, the, the peachy hair. This was fucked because it was so noisy out there. Like, we did everything we could to clean up the sound. Low budget movie bullshit. You know, we did what we did to clean up the sound, but it's not perfect. In the year that I was waiting to try and raise the financing, it was probably more than a year. Um, something I would do, I remember Ben was filming Bloodline. We were with him in the Florida Keys in a place called Isla Mirada. And I would walk along the water listening to Boys of Summer by Don Henley um, and listening to it over and over and trying to pick out the different instruments one at a time. Another song I did that with was um, I Walk on Gilded Splinters by Dr. John. And with that song, you can pick out like the piano and the vo the vocal, the backing vocal. You can pick out the, s the sound of him inhaling cigarettes, you c or if they were cigarettes, you can pick out the sound of him exhaling. And I did that with these songs over and over to try and get into the headspace of having enough texture uh, to create convincing characters in a film, you know, all these layers upon layers upon layers. And knowing that all those elements make something feel alive. You know, you've seen so many films, not just um, major studio films, independent films that feel identical, that feel like, um, you know, they're constructed from instructions on an Ikea catalogue, but you need the fibres, the texture, the richness. Jamie's beautiful in this scene. Oh, I do have those glasses that he's about to put on. How did I end up with those glasses? I have them. This scares me every time I watch this. Well, that's my Hitchcock cameo. If you look, the reason he gets distracted, it says short brunette. That's me, I'm a short brunette. And then he smash. And we had loads of discussions about the logic of how bashed up or not was he and why isn't his face destroyed the next time you see him. And that's a completely fair question. First movie questions. I love that shot. That shot where you could see the Hollywood sign and the Scientology sign, that's L.A. 
that guy had such a great face. Again, like, that's a perfect example. He was like a solid dude, pleasant to be around, and was great. And you, you just end up giving them more shots if you can. Yeah, and that guy. Jamie's great in this scene. But it's the next scene we're waiting to... Oh, his next scene. Um, we'll come to it. In the middle of this, Jamie had a spare ticket to see Don Rickles um, right before he died, the insult comic, who was Jamie's late mom's, one of his, her, one of her favorite performers, so it became one of Jamie's favorites. And he had a spare and we went and had our picture taken with Don Rickles afterwards, which is a bit of a treasure because I think he died about a month later. He's about to say to her, you're a fucking vampire. And I wanted it to look like she was actually a vampire in a vampire's lair. Because I think the danger with romantic relationships is you can become what the other person tells you you are. So this is um, my play on that. We paid a lot of money for that and to be able to use the New Yorker magazine and then it got scrolled up and you couldn't even tell. Those are things that surprise me on the first movie. It's just like you watch film and you don't think, oh, you had to budget to be able to show a magazine. This scares me every time I watch it too. Yeah. So, as I said, I rode the bus all the time in LA and LA, you know, we waiting at the bus stop. It's it's not a walking city. It's um a place where if you're on the bus, you're poor, um, generally. I did meet New Yorkers at the bus stop who didn't know how to drive, uh, but I definitely made friends with a bunch of homeless people at bus stops, with like, I say a bunch, like there were two or three homeless people I would see a lot and talk to a lot um, at some of my regular bus stops. And there were one or two I was quite frightened of, and that's where that scene came from. Okay, here's another reason I don't, I wish I hadn't done that with the cat, is to get it to lick itself. They put peanut butter on it, and I just, like, even there shooting on a very strict schedule, I felt so ethically torn about 
the idea of peanut butter being placed on a cat to get it to lick itself it really bothered me this is a beautiful shot that autumn was very excited about it was an homage to um, punch drunk love it's a similar shot and so we lost it in the edit suite but then we were very happy when we got to use it as a um, memory flashback shapes i love the shapes of these two women oh jamie in this i said just give me a take that has the potential to destroy your career okay he was like okay and he did and it didn't destroy his career siren yeah just people flashing in and out of your subconscious when you're trying to live your life people staying with you sort of almost as like a ghost chorus even when they're long gone that's um shot that movement is nicked from betty blue can't not nicked it's an homage um there's a scene where betty's watching TV and moving her torso like that to try and copy a Bollywood movie. And Jemima's super into exercise and what's impressive about it is she just, she doesn't, I don't think she goes to gym. She, I always see her at her house grabbing it where she can. She has two small children and she'll just like kick out some exercise when someone's like on the toilet. Um, so yeah, it made sense to me that she'd be flexing her abs while attempting to close a suitcase. And the placeholder music here was Country Feedback by R.E.M. Um, that, okay, so I see the student driver teacher. Um, that's Johnny Jr. Johnny Lieber Jr., um, who my nanny that made it possible for me to be able to shoot a movie, um, that was her son. That's Yuna's son. Yeah, I just always loved the idea of leaving a nest behind when you know you're one of many women who've been through a man's bedroom, just leaving a piece of yourself behind and hoping that if they don't ever find it, maybe one day another girl will find it and know you were there. Autumn hated shooting um, the cat going into its litter box because there's no beautiful way to shoot a cat litter box. It just <laughs> stressed her and I'll always love her for that. Jamie did not want to lose his beard. He was really happy with his beard. I have a photo of myself taking a, a, a like three minute nap between shot setups in this bed. I think, was Jemima? No, it was Jamie. Jamie, Jamie also took a nap in that bed between shots. 
and I took a nap at the foot of the bed. And I feel like Jemima napped in there once too. It was really important that for the finale he come to her. They couldn't, they couldn't make love in his bed, it had to be in hers. Myra's quite mysterious. I think she quite confused Jamie, which is useful um, because he's very, he's very vulnerable in this scene and sweet and open. when she says nobody cares and he says I do I just said to him it should surprise you as much as her to hear it coming out of your mouth and then you know I'd always had this idea that the what a frightening thing it is for two people who've fucked a bunch to just sleep next to each other and hold each other with no performance and just to sleep in silence by one another. What a big, big deal that was. And a breakthrough for our star-crossed lovers. And to even disrobe in front of each other when you're not performing. And Jemima, you know, had had this armour of all the Dita de Vontese lingerie and now is going to be naked and stand, you know, we talked about it, stand in a very vulnerable way that... Um, It's not arching your back, it's not performing, it's not getting your best angle, it's um, just trying to be naked in front of someone for the first time without performance. I remembered how, how intense it is. I'm just going to pause this. How intense it is to let your husband or your partner see your body the first time, for the first time after you've given birth. And that's what I was thinking of. Um, that's what I said to Jamie when he looked at her naked for the first time. And I knew it had to end with them both walking. That she hasn't graduated to driving, but she's found someone who can walk with her by the end of the movie. And she's not dressed up. See, she's wearing the REM, that's my REM, out of time t-shirt, flat shoes, jeans, no armour. I love this shot. And I just knew that I wanted the credits to run over this. And I wanted you to be able to stay in the cinema 
or in your home and watch until you couldn't see them anymore and know that they would be okay. And this idea that it'd be lovely if they were together, but, you know, either you stay together forever or one day you break up. This is probably not going to last forever, but they will walk this path together for as long as they can. It's it's a very very romantic... at me thank you so much for listening to my road commentary um i'm emma forrest and hope you enjoyed it thanks for listening we'll be back soon with another exclusive audio commentary so please subscribe rate us and most importantly tell your fellow film fans that road commentary is a thing follow us on twitter for news about upcoming episodes And if you have any suggestions for future contributors, email us at david at rogue-commentary.com. Bye.